Welcome to Voices for the New Age with your hosts, Juno Botan and Steve Sokolow. Each week, our show explores topics you've wanted to hear about with a focus on better health, wise leadership, and spiritual connections to help both your personal and professional life. Now, here is Juno Wotan and Steve Sokolow. Good afternoon. You're listening to Voices for the New Age here on voiceamerica.com. I'm Juna Wotan, and with me here is my co-host, Steve Sokolow. Welcome, everyone. And we're, we're taking calls today, uh, and so uh, we'd love to hear from you. And the number is 866-472-5788. And our guest today is Laraji, who is a multi-instrumental musician, recording artist, and laughter release meditation guy. He's recorded and toured the globe with amazing ambient music performances and laughter meditation workshops since the 1980s. And his musical performances feature the celestial ambient sounds of electric zither for deep meditative and inspirational listening. And as a meditation guide, Laraji leads participants through a hilarious, interactive, musically supported laughter release session that brings deep relaxation and inner stillness. His recorded music can be heard online at Spotify, YouTube, Calm, and on various albums released on Warp, All All Saints Records, Numero Group, and Stone's Throw Records, and others. It's an honor and privilege to welcome you, Laraji. Oh, oh, hello, Juna. And uh, how did you find your spiritual path? This way. (laughs) 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 What do you mean? Well, this way, uh, through meditation, through exploring different modalities of centering, being still, uh, Tai Chi, massage, uh, uh, cannabis, uh, psychedelic exploration. Uh, I grew up with the Bible. And so I think I read the Bible pretty much through three times, and I think it sharpened my spiritual radar, although there's some areas of the Bible that I would skim through because it didn't seem to hold my attention. But overall, reading the Bible three times kind of sharpened my spiritual radar. Uh, You'll have to use your own imagination to understand what that might mean. And so uh, I always believed in prayer and um, Jesus, the image and then the character that was presented to me in my Baptist church was someone that I wanted to be like. I wanted to do what that person was doing. I thought it was intriguing. Uh, so part of my, uh, my plan was to get baptized at the age of, uh, I think it was 12. I believe that's Jesus was baptized at 12 or 13. And also um, prayers to Jesus. So, and I would recall that praying to what I felt was Jesus was an enormously vast field of present time that had no boundaries or borders to separate whatever this is and I am. And so that was great psychotherapy, praying to what I believe was Jesus, the Christ. And out of that, I think I developed the sense of a deeper sense of subtle space-time because in speaking to what I perceived to be as this Jesus, 
I was more or less relating in vertical time, continuous present time. And so somewhere, yeah, and so music entered my life. Uh, my mother had supported my playing music and learning the piano, the violin, and the school systems of Perth Amboy, New Jersey supported an, a robust interest in music. And I found in music the ability to feel, to be in the feeling of that extended inner space time beyond words, exploring the nonverbal space. Uh, I'll fast forward to uh, living in New York in 1960s. Uh, I was playing music and I was exploring meditation, metaphysics and mind science also uh, Christian science, anything I could get my hands on that would show, would lend light onto this search. And it was during a psychedelic experience, meditation experience, meditation and psychedelics in an alchemical uh, experiment that I received a sound vision. Uh, I later found that it was called the Cosmic's sound stream or the eternal music. And during the listening of the music, which didn't happen, mainly because the teaching is that there's the continual present time, this music somehow activated a mindfulness or a memory of what eternal time is, what the unified field is, that everything is vibrating now. And in this experience, wildest music, many, it felt like multiple layers of brass instruments weaving this most glorious textural sound pad. And uh, I, I might have even been crying because the emotion that was welling up was like my heart cracked open in love for the universe. And that might have lasted five or 10 minutes, the experience that didn't happen. Though. <laughs> 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 so, I did my research in the libraries, New York Public Library, Lincoln Center Library, looking for anything I could that would point to this experience and found out there were several traditions already in action on the planet that were honoring the inner sound current, the nadam, the uh, music of the spheres, and that this sound is, you could call it the vibrational frequency of our celestial etheric nervous system, the pranic body. And that by listening to this music, which has no ending or beginning, it's the perfect object to contemplate in order to lift awareness out of the linear personal sense of self into the universal sense of self. And so I said, wow, what an experience. I, this is the kind of music I would like to share with the, uh, when I perform. And I don't know how I can do it because I can't record it, can't write it down. But a month or so after that experience, I was in a pawn shop in New York, pawning my guitar because piano was my main instrument. And in the pawn shop, a voice just came through me. It says, don't swap your guitar for money. Take it for that auto harp in the window. And the voice was so clear and so present. It didn't spook me out, but it scientifically, my scientific mind went, how is this happening? Who would leave. So I swapped the guitar for the auto harp and $5 and I left and started exploring the zither in alternate tunings and alternate configurations. And to jump fast forward, the music that I was guided to create on this new sounding instrument was uh, suggested by my having that 
nonverbal sound hearing experience, that cosmic vision awakening through sound. And so now the music I play is me consciously rapporting with an expanded sense of space-time, expanded sense of present time, an expanded sense of the truth behind the appearance of multiplicity that there is this one unbroken unified field. And so there I am. And the music that I am playing is coming to the attention of meditation teachers and yogis. And one meditation mentor suggested that I consider that was an initiation and that uh, he offered me the name Laraji Nada Brahmananda, which relates to that sound initiation. And so there's my, the shortest of the longest story. <laughs> um, well, I, I, I believe I met you at Ananda Ashram back in the 1980s, where they hosted a workshop on Nada Yoga. So can yeah. you talk, talk more about uh, Nada Yoga and the healing power of music in that tradition? Yes. Um, Nada Yoga, sometimes when I conduct a class, I like to think of sound uh, is powerful through suggestion. Also, to take, imagine that you're in a very dark, black space. You don't even know you have eyes. And uh, sound is like this great big cosmic flashlight. When it comes on, suddenly you see the detail of the space you didn't even know you were in. You suddenly become aware of your ability to have an experience called seeing. And so consciousness shifts out of one dimension into another dimension of being present in visible space. Sound, nadam, is a sound that allows cosmic memory to activate in order to see the detail of the eternal present time, that eternity has no ending or beginning. This, to the intellectual linear thinking mind, may make sense, but maybe not experiential that way. Nadam allows the mind to reformat back to a certain mathematical formula by which the mind directly perceives uh, its eternity, it directly perceives this present time as a continuum. So the, the nadam allows the contemplator to return the mind to the neutral place where the eternal presence is directly perceived. Yoga, as I understand it, usually about an hour and a half of yoga practice, whether it's hatha, nada yoga, raja yoga, this or that yoga, the original purpose, and probably still is, is to bring the participant into a place of deep muscle relaxation, deep breath release, deep energy chilling, so that natural meditation will emerge through the participant's consciousness, usually in that final posture called shavasana or the corpse pose so in the corpse pose one if they're receptive enough will hear nadam because the mental space has been relaxed and the body is relaxed and the breath is relaxed and nadam allows awareness to maintain focus as a present time consciousness and this is the trick to try to think our way into the eternal is a tricky thing because somewhere we have to leave linear thought out of 
the equation and be with no mind, no mental activity. And if you want mind, then just say pure mathematical mind or the mind of I am that has no explanations on it, no titles on it, just pure I am, it's pure mind. And Nadam is a tool for assisting the meditator, the spiritual athlete, the devotee to move away from the load of mental thinking and be present where the eternal is. Some confuse Nadam with uh, the sound of the nervous system or breathing or the heartbeat. Some call it tentinitis, I believe, tentinitis, that if it's very present, it's very annoying if you don't want to be very present. <laughs> it's very present if you don't want to go home to the eternal present moment. It's very annoying if you, if you want your mind to stay out in the world so you can manage your fears, fears of the world. But if you know how to balance it, if you know how to give time to this sound so that your inner reality walks with you in balance as you're containing the outer world, I feel Nadam is a blessing, a blessing, a tool for maintaining focus, balance, and connection to our eternalness in an ever-changing outer world. And um, what, what comes to my mind is um, that mantra does the same kind of thing, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say? I would say like, so. Mm-hmm. That practice, as you said, Juna, would distract the mind from its distractions, so that uh, some mantras are explained that they don't have a meaning. There's a vibrational language by which the mind can return to its awareness as being an energetic field rather than a linear intellectual processing instrument. So your mantras, your japas, and your chants do this. Singing and crooning can do this. Humming can do this. Listening to buzzing of bees or... uh, crickets, uh, listening to nature, can somehow allow the mind to take a vacation from linear business long enough for mind to access its other function, the function of witnessing as an eternal presence. Beautiful. And Steve, would you like to comment or jump in on this? I think it was just beautifully stated I've had the experience that you're describing, and uh, you've just explained it uh, magnificently. Thank you. I've had a lot of practice. (laughs) (laughs) And um, can you share the story about how you met producer and composer Brian Eno? Yes. Uh, The metaphysical way is that I was involved with New Thought Religion at the time, as well as playing electric zither in the sidewalks of New York and, and Washington Square Park. And around the time that just before meeting up with Brian, I remember using mind science treatments, which are scientific prayers, to ask for what you want the universe to manifest. And at that time, I was beginning to be concerned that I needed a, a record producer to let me leap onto the next level of my career. And so my prayer was for the right producer is coming into my life and it's the right energy and we are doing the right things, sort of that kind of, and then giving thanks as though it's happening. So maybe a year after that, or maybe months after that prayer process, 
I'm in Washington Square Park performing music, and after one late night session, this couple came over to me and said, we love your music, and we think it would fit in the same genre of Fripp and Eno. And Fripp and Eno was what I was hearing, and I didn't know what they were talking about. Have you heard Fripp and Eno? I said, no, I never heard of Fripp and Eno. Well, it's uh, Robert Fripp and Brian Eno. And uh, you should check out their music. You might be very interested in how similar your fields are. And so maybe within two or three weeks after that, I still hadn't had time to check out Fripp and Eno. I'm in the park performing late night, Washington Square Park, northeast corner, cross leg position, eyes closed with electric zither. And when I'm closing up, counting my change, it wasn't bad change. Then there was a note in my zither case, a rather impromptu ripped from a nice notebook. It says, dear sir, please excuse this impromptu note. Uh, I was wondering if you would uh, consider performing on a recording project I'm working on, signed Brian Eno. And I think, whoa. <laughs> so immediately I had said, you know, when you're doing mind science treatment, you also prepare because you prepare for being in the moment of the demonstration happening. So here I am in the moment of this demonstration happening and I'm prepared for it. You know, you don't say, I can't believe this. No, you already believed it. And that's why it's happening. (laughs) That's great. Um, But uh, we're going to have to take a short break. Um, Our guest today is Laraji, who is a multi-instrumental musician, recording artist, and laughter release meditation guide. And we're going to take a short break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What if you could feel better about yourself? Is it time to change your life's direction? Juno Wotan offers in-person or remote astrology readings and karmic healing sessions, classes, and workshops. These are all designed to give you a better sense of well-being and fulfillment. You'll benefit from the support and guidance to relieve stress, get unstuck, gain confidence, and more. Reach out to Juna through her website at Juniverse.com or via email to Junawotan at me.com. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Inglehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Dr. Stephen Sokolow is the director of the Center for Empowered Leadership. CFEL offers executive and leadership coaching, as well as leadership training and development. Visit CFEL.org to find out more. Dr. Sokolow is available for seminars, workshops, retreats, and speaking engagements. You can also visit the website to purchase top-selling books, join networking opportunities, and a lot more. Contact Dr. Stephen Sokolow at slsokolow at aol.com or through the Center for Empowered Leadership website at cfel.org. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Voices for the New Age. To reach the live show, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to junawotan at me.com. Now, back to Voices for the New Age. Here again is Juno Wotan and Steve Sokolow. And you're listening to Voices for the New Age. I'm Juna Wotan, and my co-host is Dr. Steve Sokolow. And our guest today is LaRaji, who's a multi-instrumental musician, recording artist, and laughter release meditation guide. Welcome back. And um, it seems that music, laughter, meditation are always to escape the separation that is felt in society and help us feel interconnected. Can you talk about this? It was a beautiful introduction, Juna, because one way laughter is described as the shortest distance between two people, two entities, two neighbors, two countries, two planetary systems, two species. <laughs> laughter is the shortest distance as that, as you can imagine, relaxes the, uh, us from rigidity, from our boundaries and borders brings us back to a place of innocence and vulnerability where we're open and receptive. And that heavy laughter, a full presence of laughter, supposedly we're not thinking, we're not engaging the mind as a linear thought processor. So that the mind is in a place of no boundaries, no linear. And that the place is, we could call it, a place of chill, a place of psychological serenity, bliss. And that when we laugh in public, usually in the context of social situations, social interaction, the laughter can come, run its course, and then leave. And that's natural, spontaneous laughter. Most likely it's warm. And it doesn't always get uh, occasion because if someone tells a joke. But the heavy laughter, the laughter that I kind of go for in the workshops, the play shops, I like to call them, is to get more of the yumminess out of the healing side of a laughter. So that uh, real robust laughter can stimulate the, uh, the pituitary and the pineal gland in the head or the thyroid gland in the throat or the thymus in the chest, known as the seat of our immune system. It can also relax the heart from trauma. It also can allow the abdominal muscles to receive a nice, beautiful massage. And it's also a wonderful way of pranayama, breath work. So this heavy laughter and a model for heavy laughter, I like to use Dejuna and Stephen, is uh, 15 minutes a day, initially maybe for seven days to explore diving into the laughter zone for 15 minutes a day. And of course, course, we can allow for the first five minutes to be fake, 
phony and doesn't know what to do to get there. In my early days, I started to notice that when I started to reach for my authentic laughter on my own, there was certain body language and facial expressions and body contortions that started to come back to me as memorable from childhood when I'd really crack up with my cousins and my uncles and my aunts. And so that there, we learn ways of getting into the authentic laughter. That was my original approach to laughter meditation until I learned later that we could use specific mental focus, imagination focus when doing these laughter exercises to take our laughing voice into the head to move the vibration around, mm, starting out with toning, mm, and letting that tone become a head-specific laughter, knowing that it's vibrating everything. And to make these exercises more and more fun, I invite all the participants to play with their water body while doing these laughter exercises. That is to be mindful that the body is composed. The physical mammalian, Adam Kadmon, is like mostly liquid water so that we already start to address the benefits of laughter, of letting go of our boundaries, becoming liquid. So in vibrating the head, so here I'm giving my brain a massage, a laughter massage, or you say I'm, I'm smudging my brain with laughter. And so we're stimulating the release of dopamine, serotonin, uh, endorphins, and giving the brain a good workout. And as you notice that as we're doing this, smiling is occurring. And when the, we get to smiling and we can mindfully let the little wrinkles on the sides of the eyes become in our laughter, that we're actually stimulating the, the happiness center in our brain. So this has been uh, investigated by uh, a doctor, French doctor, Guillaume Duchesne that you're stimulating our, la our happiness center with our smiling. So you see, we're getting into a bit of medicinal, yummy, scientific art of using your laughter to trigger yourself inwardly. So then we get to the throat. <laughs> and we come on down to the thymus just beneath the breastbone in the chest. And we use our imagination to thump our thymus with our laughter. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who's just tuning in right now, and they're probably asking questions. So we go all the way through the body, massaging the abdominal organs with our imagination and our ah. <laughs> and we're releasing total breath with our laughter, intentionally inhaling fully and releasing fully, something that we don't tend to do in natural, spontaneous laughter. So. <laughs> so you can begin to get the picture if you're participating in this you're getting a total body laughter massage smudging total medicinal and if you're lying down while doing this which i advise in the morning before getting out of bed you may find yourself in a space that's equal to Shavasana, the mind is relaxed, you haven't been thinking, the muscles are relaxed, the breath is relaxed from 
linear information holding, the brain is relaxed, and you're in a very good place to notice natural meditation, natural open awareness, and perchance to notice that you're noticing this etheric sound current. And if you have gotten into this yoga posture well enough, you're in no rush to leave this. And here you are in sustained conscious communion with your infinite nowness, your eternal meditation, your transcendental you-ness, your me. <laughs> wow. I felt that. Um, and you worked in New York's nightclub circuit as a stand-up comedian before devoting yourself to meditation and music uh, in the 70s. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Uh, mostly it was night, it was cafes, coffee shops, and hootenannies, and sometimes uh, nightclubs, stand-up comedy. That grew out of my childhood obsession with getting people to laugh because it would disable the bullies in my neighborhood. <laughs> keep them on the side, keep them relaxed. And like you said, laughter is the shortest distance between two people. So I use laughter to collapse the sense of separation between myself and the bullies in my neighborhood. I grew up in a rather firm neighborhood. And also in school, I just enjoyed the opportunities to get the classes to crack up sometimes at the risk of getting punished. And eventually using my talent to write comedy plays and skits in high school and college. And I had a variety of comedic influences when I grew up from Red, Scott, Red Fox to Red Skelton to Sid Caesar, Milton Berle to uh, Bill Cosby, Richard Pryor, the later ones. And so I had a good comedic imagination going on that stirred me. And in college, Howard University, aside from my uh, musical studies, I would invest energies with partners and we do stand-up comedies for various situations in the college social circuit. That inspired me to come to New York and investigate the idea of doing stand-up comedy in the bitter end in New York City. And what inspired that choice was the story of Bill Cosby having uh, gotten his breaks at the bitter end. So I went to the bitter end on their hootenanny, on their uh, audition night, and the response to my act was favorable. So I decided to move from Howard after college to New York and pursue comedy. And, and pursuing comedy, I was advised to get an agent. And the agent at that time, which was handling people of color, was Ernestine McClendon and George Wiltshire. So I went to them and they saw my ability to handle comedic roles and started putting me into film and commercials and uh, ads in addition to working at the Apollo Theater and getting to know all of the famous acts from backstage, which I think influenced my movement into celestial music uh, laced with rhythm and blues <laughs> and jazz. <laughs> and so stand-up comedy was uh, a time 
it was overlapping my investigation into mind science. And so I began to question the uh, subject matter of my comic com com comedy when I started to understand the laws of cause and effect and that through mind science, either you're knowing it or unknowingly creating your present and your future. You're drawing to yourself from the universe things you may unconsciously uh, are asking for. And so my comedic material, I felt, was more divisive um, at, the, at the cost of somebody else. And so I started to question the value of the way I was getting people to laugh. And I was moving more into metaphysical study, Eastern study, meditation, inner exploration. And so comedy uh, as a stand-up profession went uh, sort of on the shelf until 1980s when I was turned on to a book by Rajneesh, Osho Rajneesh, the book of orange meditations or the orange book of meditations. And on one page of this multi-meditation manual was the suggestion of laughter meditation. And the suggestion was before getting out of bed in the morning, keep your eyes closed, do some stretches, and then go into your laughter and do it for seven days. I said, hmm, this is very interesting. And I started doing it. I was impressed with how awkward it was finding my authentic laughter. But when I did, I was impressed with that I could do it and hold it and how yummy it felt to uh, mindfully be in the laughter zone and know that I didn't need an external cause and to explore a causal laughter or uncaused laughter. And what it showed me after seven days is that there were more opportunities for laughter and each day more opportunities to support other people's laughter. Also, I was noticing my speaking and singing voice was taking on a fuller resonance and my body was more open. And I started to introduce this laughter idea into my musics as a, as a healer workshops at college conferences. And uh, laughter workshops quickly took on a life of its own and expanded with different people's comments and suggestions into its own entity. And so we have laughter play shops today, and I work uh, a lot alone, and I work also with a beautiful partner, Archie Osiananda, and so we can work large audiences, sometimes as large as 2,000, 200 people rather, not two, <laughs> maybe 2,000 by way of the internet. Oh. Um, and uh, how can people contact you? They can go on to my website, laraji.blogspot.com laraji.blogspot.com or shoot me an email laraji at yahoo.com Great. I, I wanted to make sure we got that in. Um, and so how can laughter be used as a tool for breaking the boundaries of race and gender? Well, if you say we put a sampling of races and genders in uh, an unlit room and then provoke them into laughter and let them become immersed in laughter, totally immersed in laughter. At some point, they're immersed in laughter. They're immersed in an awareness that they're in a space where other humans are involved in laughter. And there is no being distinction. There's just weirdness and laughter ocean together. And 
there might be an expanded awareness of just how boundaries don't play a part in this experience, how external visual identities doesn't play a part in this. And then what if we were to turn the lights on, slowly bring the lights up and people would look around and notice that an Haitian man was laughing next to a Korean man and a Korean man was laughing next to a, a, a Zimbabwe woman and a Zimbabwe woman was laughing next to a, a Brazilian child. <laughs> and I look at, wow, whoa, the laughter showed us the unity potentiality in our own self-awareness that we carry the seeds of knowing about a unity that can transcend these boundaries. Laughter work in general should teach us, just as meditation would teach us, it takes us beyond the mind's outer information gathering process. And uh, without that outer information, we don't have the duality or the plurality polarity to design our emotional presence. So the emotional presence is designed within a unity field, then we can flow overriding the outer signs, the outer descriptions. Now, who does this? A child might do this. Animal, animals might do this. They, they override the outer appearance in case you look threatening. But the... Uh, Transcendental self-awareness lets us know about an underlying unity that uh, supersedes what the outer sensations are showing. Well-upstained awareness, whether they call it sitting, whether they call it meditation, whether they call it cooking or playing music, whether they call it leading their own talk show, whatever it is that gets you to stop leaving this moment the fastest way here is to stop leaving <laughs> <laughs> and laraji uh, again how can people contact you okay the uh, email laraji at yahoo.com l-a-r-a-h-a-i or laraji all lowercase laraji.blogspot.com c-o-m And you can Google me if you, and just Laraji, the name will take you places. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Dejuna. And uh, Steve, you want to say anything real quick? Yes. Thank you for sharing your joy and laughter and insights for healing and connection. Ah, Om Shanti. Our guest today has been Laraji, who's a multi-instrumental musician, recording artist, and laughter release meditation guide. We're going to take a short break, and when we return, I'll have your astrology forecast for the upcoming week, and Steve will have his uh, tips for empowered, empowered leadership. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What if you could feel better about yourself? Is it time to change your life's direction? 
Juno Wotan offers in-person or remote astrology readings and karmic healing sessions, classes, and workshops. These are all designed to give you a better sense of well-being and fulfillment. You'll benefit from the support and guidance to relieve stress, get unstuck, gain confidence, and more. Reach out to Juna through her website at Junaverse.com or via email to Junawotan at me.com. Listen for Go to Health Radio, featuring host Jonathan Marks and health experts from around the world who bring evidence-based education from Western, alternative, and holistic practices. We bring together you, seeking relevant and proven information for your healthcare needs and reputable healthcare experts and companies who offer quality education for your benefit. Monthly, we also share continuing education for medical professionals. Listen live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Dr. Stephen Sokolow is the director of the Center for Empowered Leadership. CFEL offers executive and leadership coaching as well as leadership training and development. Visit cfel.org to find out more. Dr. Sokolow is available for seminars, workshops, retreats, and speaking engagements. You can also visit the website to purchase top-selling books, join networking opportunities, and a lot more. Contact Dr. Stephen Sokolow at slsokolow at aol.com or through the Center for Empowered Leadership website at cfel.org. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Voices for the New Age. To reach the live show, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to junawotan at me.com. Now, back to Voices for the New Age. Here again is Juno Wotan and Steve Sokolow. Welcome back to Voices for the New Age. I'm Dr. Steve Sokolow, here with my co-host, Juna Wotan. Juna, what's in the stars for us this week? Well, I thought that I'd talk about the upcoming Mercury retrograde because Mercury is starting to slow down. Uh, The planet Mercury is named after the Roman deity who was a messenger to the gods. And it's the quick moving planet that governs communication, short distance travel, and buying, selling, or trading. On Monday, September 27, Mercury will appear to stop to prepare to backtrack across the heavens all the way to October 17th in the sign of Libra whose symbol is the scales. And Libra rules relationships and loves beauty, fairness, harmony, and balance. And Mercury is joining five other retrograde planets, which will intensify the retrograde. So in general, you can expect delays while traveling, a shortage of products or goods, and communication slip-ups. And this is not a period that favors launching something new or signing contracts. And I'll go through each sign and tell you the best way to use this transit. 
And so Aries, people from your past may pop back into your present while Mercury retrogrades through your seventh house of partnerships. Your ex may want to rekindle the romance or may return to find closure. If you're in a relationship, issues that have been swept under the rug may resurface in order to heal and clear the air. Taurus, Mercury retrograding through your job sector suggests that a work assignment will go up for a review. It will be a favorable time to edit projects, get reorganized, and clear your desk of clutter and piled up paper. Clear your computer's desktop, empty the trash, and delete old files. Gemini, it's time to slow down. Mercury is Gemini's ruler, so you are susceptible to the retrograde. It can make you feel scatterbrained and forgetful, so it'd be wise not to overschedule yourself during this period. It's an excellent time to complete creative projects, and lovers from the past may resurface. Cancer, unresolved family problems may uh, Come back in order to get complete and have a fresh start. Or you may need to finish a home do-it-yourself project or make a home repair. If you've been out of touch with family members, this will be an excellent time to reconnect and restore your relationships. Leo, during this Mercury retrograde, which will backtrack through your third house of communication, it would be wise to double check every text and email and take time to carefully explain your intentions. Avoid signing any major contracts, but if you must, make sure you carefully read the fine print. Virgo, while Mercury is retrograding through your second house of possessions, it's best not to make a major purchase, such as a car, house, or electronics. And if you do, make sure it comes with a warranty, save the receipt, or get insurance. It's a favorable time to take stock of what you have and get rid of what you don't need. Libra, with Mercury retrograding through your first house of personality, you may want to revise your appearance, but not to take drastic action. It's an unfavorable time to get a tattoo, a radical haircut, or plastic surgery. Be patient and shop around for new clothes, but make sure you try them on to make sure they fit. Scorpio, you may want to get a journal and write down your experiences and dreams while Mercury backtracks through your 12th house of karma. It may be wise to get a past life regression or other type of therapy to clear yourself of old baggage that's holding you back. Sagittarius, make sure you don't go out on a bad day, a bad hair day, for you're bound to run into someone you haven't seen in a long time as Mercury retrogrades through your 11th house of friendships. You may attend a reunion of some sort under this transit, and it's best to review your long term goals and make adjustments. Capricorn, your career goes up for review when Mercury retrogrades through your 10th house of achievement and fame, and it's a Good time to reevaluate your career goals, make adjustments, and get back on track. Reevaluate your public image. How do you want to be perceived by the general public? And Aquarius, on Monday, Mercury will retrograde through your ninth house of personal growth to October 17th, making it a good time to reset exams that you previously failed if you're a student. And you may be drawn to travel to a place that you've been before and to revisit. If you're traveling abroad, double check itinerary and flight times. And Pisces, while Mercury is backtracking through your eighth house, you may want to review your contracts with your phone service and internet provider to see if you're getting the best deal. You may also want to examine your investment portfolio to see if your stocks are performing in a way that benefits you. And... That's it for Mercury Retrograde to October 17th. And so now uh, we have Dr. Steve 
Sokolo, and he is going to give us tips on wise, empowered leadership. And so, Steve, why should wise leaders be aware that light attracts the dark? Well, for a starting point, we need to appreciate that wise leaders are, in fact, a source of light. Now, light attracts the dark like a moth to a flame. And we also need to remember that bright lights make good targets. So be prepared for a lot of flack. No. And should leaders expect to encounter obstacles and countervailing energies? Just we in live general? In, in, well, we live in a polarized universe, and that is becoming more apparent every day. It seems as though the universe is becoming more polarized every day. Now, if we think back to our high school physics, we learned that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So as a leader, expect pushback. You have to plan for it. You have to create countervailing forces to counter the countervailing energy. And when you counter a counter, it's like a double negative. It neutralizes it. Wow. And should leaders see trials and and tribulations as lessons and opportunities? Absolutely. Uh, As a leader, you need to expect trials and tribulations. Uh, Don't be surprised by them. It's sort of built into the fabric. And so uh, what you should do each time you're encountering, encountering trials and tribulations is ask yourself, what are the possible lessons inherent in these trials and tribulations that I am experiencing? And you can also ask yourself, what are the opportunities that are being presented by these trials and tribulations? Uh, Can you give us a a personal example of this? Well, um, in terms of uh, of being prepared, uh, in terms of creating uh, countervailing force, um, for example, if you're presenting something new in an organization and you know that people will be coming out publicly to oppose whatever is being proposed, you need to reach out to the people that are in alignment with your thinking and encourage them to be present so that when the countervailing forces arise, you can then then the people that are there to support you uh, are in equal power. That would be an example of uh, don't just sit back and, and let things come at you, but prepare uh, a countervailing uh, force. Uh, but uh, have you had a personal experience about how, how something that seemed maybe well, uh, sure. overwhelming uh, I, or negative, uh, but well, you saw it as really it was an opportunity well, for I, you to I, grow? As a personal, a personal experience, a few years ago, I had a skiing uh, accident. And uh, I, I tore apart my fibia and uh, tibia and uh, like a wishbone. And for the first time in my life, I, I couldn't even stand up. I needed surgery. And for uh, three months, I was completely dependent on others and uh, for almost everything. 
And during that time, I realized that I had been given a gift from the universe to grow and understand compassion and understand what it's like to be dependent on others and to realize uh, how beautiful that is and that people will be there for you uh, when needed. And so it gave me a whole different perspective. And to the point that uh, despite the pain and the fact that I was really out of commission for almost three months, if I had to choose all over again, whether to have that injury and surgery, I would choose it. Oh, wow. And, and so should leaders seek to generate positive energy in others? Without a doubt. I mean, we talked about laughter earlier and laughter being contagious. Well, positive energy and positive people are contagious. So uh, if you're in a position to hire people, and many leaders are, hire positive people. And if you have an opportunity to decide who you're going to be around, choose to be around positive people. Because positive energy is contagious synergistically. And it grows just like two people laughing and then the laughter gets louder and louder. The more people who are positive, that positive energy grows. And ultimately what you're trying to do as a leader is to create a positive culture where the critical mass of positive thinkers and positive actors and positive people, it just becomes the culture of the organization. And uh, should leaders seek to counteract negative or dark energy, even evil? Uh, without a doubt. And can you we, give us a quick answer? Well, you have to stand up to bullies and you have to use openness to expose ignorance and oppression. Bring the, the negativity to light and expose it. Goodness combats evil. And if you want a great book about uh, combating evil, read People of the Lie by M. Scott Peck. Wonderful. And that was Dr. Steve Sokolow, author and the executive director of the Center for Empowered Leadership. He's available for lectures, media appearances, workshops, and coaching sessions. And you can contact him at www.cfel.org. And you've been listening to Voices for the New Age here on voiceamerica.com. Steve and I will be back next week with Dr. Jean Ang, who will tell us about the Arcturian Healing Method, a modality he created to empower people to access divine cosmic energies for healing and life path acceleration. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Voices for the New Age. Please join your hosts, Juno Botan and Steve Sokolow, next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We can't wait to share more about your better self next week. <music>